All right, so the secret's out on Secret Church. We just made a public announcement about it, so no secret anymore. Six hours of opportunity for you to hear the Word of God from a fire hydrant. Which, as we finished last week with the transfiguration, we said that God the Father from heaven declared, this is my son, listen to him. That the highest privilege that we have and the highest priority, therefore, because of who Jesus is, is to listen to him. And so we talked about the alternative that we have at the chapel on Thursday nights because so many people in services now work on Sunday and because lots of folks travel on the weekend that we have an opportunity every week on Thursday to be able to listen to the scriptures as well. To help us do that better, I want to have a one-question survey, all right? It's in the seat back in front of you. Would each of you grab one of these? It would be helpful, literally, if every single one of you just grabbed one. This is not lengthy. We can do this in 60 seconds or less. Just one question. Currently, the Thursday service is at 7.30, and as we have talked about it with folks, the time of the service is always an issue for some. And so here's our single question. Would an earlier start time for our Thursday service encourage you to attend. So that's the issue. If we started earlier, would you go, oh, I can do that? Yes or no? All right. If you're going, I don't care when it starts, I'm not coming. That's a no. All right. If you're going, oh, if you made it earlier, yeah, I could do that. Then that's a, a yes. And you get an option to choose. Would seven o'clock be yes? Or would 640 be yes? That'd be even better. All right. So give us a yes or no. And then a time. Now, there is a second question if you're a comment person. I can't just say yes or no. I have a, make a comment. If you have a comment that you want to make, have at it. There's space there at the bottom. So, but we're mostly looking for yes or no, and if yes, what time, all right? You've had plenty of time to think of it and answer already. Go ahead and pass to the side, if you would, out to the outer edge, and guys will pick it up, and we'll get a sense of... What time would really serve us in helping give an alternative listening time? In that same seat back was this Thursday service invite. It, some of you aren't going to go to the lunch on the lawn today. If you are here and you signed up to go for the lunch on the lawn, we're glad to have you. If you're a guest down uh, to the south of the campus, free meets and we'll be glad to share that time with you. But if you're gonna go out to lunch, take one of these with you because reality is probably the person who is serving you, or if you stopped for coffee today because you don't like our coffee, then somebody served you today because they meant they couldn't probably go to church. And sometimes we just don't think about that. So offer them an invitation to an alternative time. That's why they're in the seat backs. Just grab one and offer to folks who serve you on Sunday. All right, if you have a copy of the scriptures, let's turn to Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see in this continued series of Jesus encounters, we're going to see Jesus encounter unbelief. And specifically, we're going to see the disciples encounter a dilemma, a situation like they have never faced before. And it leaves them scratching their head asking, what just happened? And Jesus gives us an extremely helpful answer. So the context for this encountering unbelief is the fact that Jesus has just been on the mountain of transfiguration where he, the glory of God was like shining through him. The big guns of the disciples are with him, Peter, James, and John. And the other nine are not. And they're coming back off the mountain. And here's where we pick it up, verse 14 of Mark 9. When they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And some scribes were doing what? Arguing. Doesn't tell us about what. And immediately when the entire, entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. I don't know what to do with that. We know that he's not still glowing from the mountain. But for whatever reason, they see Jesus and they're like, 
let's go to him. Now, maybe we're going to find out why. And so they get to him and he says, hey, what are y'all discussing with them? See, that's always the Christian version of arguing. (laughs) Jesus started this. We're not arguing, we're discussing. What are y'all discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and said, a teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, now Paul's right there before we go on. He actually hadn't brought him to Jesus. He had brought him to whom? The nine disciples who weren't up on the mountain with Jesus. So we brought our son to them. And here's what, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And here's the dilemma. And they could not do it. So the disciples are experiencing something that they have not experienced prior. And that's this. Their dilemma is that they are not able to do what they had once done. This was not a new situation. And they're like, ah, we tried and we couldn't. The situation is they've done it, they've done it, they've done it, they've, they've encountered this many times and successfully cast out many unclean spirits. If you're not tracking with me, turn one page back in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, maybe it's two pages in yours, to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, and he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over what? What's it say? Verse 7, Mark 6. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, did it take? Drop down to verse 13. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and what was happening. They were healing them. So did it take? Yes, it had taken until this moment. And nothing happened. And now this is a bit of an embarrassing moment because the guy's telling on them to Jesus. We brought him and they couldn't do it. And in this encounter, we get three reactions from Jesus to what's playing out in front of him. His first reaction, next verse, verse 19, they couldn't do it. Jesus says this, verse 19. Oh, I'm sorry. And they've been given authority to do it. He he says, verse 19, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. What do you hear in Jesus's voice? It's almost a little awkward to say, isn't it? But if you're confused here, don't be. Because probably somebody has said to you at some point in your life, how long am I have to put up with you? Is that a compliment? No, no. How, how long? Maybe you've said that. I hope you didn't say it to your spouse. That's not good, healthy marriage right there. Jesus says to us, how long do I have to put up with you? Now, if you're in the crowd, what are you thinking? Are you talking to me? Because he says, oh, unbelieving, are you talking to me? He he doesn't specifically identify who he's just had it up to here with. He does say, oh, unbelieving generation. So is he talking to the disciples? Is he talking to the dad? Is he talking to the whole crowd? Is he talking to the scribes? You might go, okay, if you were there, would he be talking to you? Oh, unbelieving generation. Uh, his first response is he, he's gone, unbelief, again, consistently. But it, but it doesn't tell you specifically, at least not yet, what they didn't believe. 
See, an inquisitive person would go, Jesus, what do you want us to believe? Because unbelief shows itself in various ways. I ask myself, all right, well, what, what did they not believe? And this is, just, this is just wondering. This is not specifically in the text. I wondered, did they not believe that this boy could be healed? In other words, uh, too extreme. Now, I wonder that because when we're honest, the vast majority of us can admit to we get to places where we go, uh, I, this is too extreme, too, I, I don't believe. And we give ourselves away at times because we pray for somebody when they first find out they're diagnosed with sickness, but when the trajectory is clearly downward, 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 and then we get the news, there's only days left, you know what I find? The vast majority of people stop asking for what they ask for at this point, and they start asking for, well, let's just, Lord, help them be comfortable. Sometimes we think things are too far gone, correct? All right. And this is not theory. This is how we realize what we believe, what we don't believe. Sometimes we just think it's, it's too late. It's too far gone. Maybe they didn't believe that the boy could be healed through them, through the disciples. I get that. <laughs> I mean, who, who'd the guy bring his son to? I know, you're writing. Who, who'd the guy bring his son to? The JV. Where was Jesus? On the mountain. Where was the big three? On the mountain. At some point, at some point when it doesn't happen, maybe they're going, God, I think he's going to be back in like an hour. <laughs> Ever feel like the JV? I mean, I can pray for you, but it'd be a lot better if this person prayed for you. See, we say stuff like that. And Jesus goes, oh, unbelieving generation. Maybe, maybe they didn't believe enough to ask. Because when you actually ask, especially when you ask publicly, now you're on the hook. There, there's been times where I've been willing to ask privately, but then you get in a small group, any prayer request, I don't think I'm ready to go public with that one. Why? This might, might not happen. In fact, how did... How did the man approach the disciples? Did you, did you notice back in verse 18? Are you looking back at verse 18? How'd they approach him? He told the disciples, do this. He told them. Didn't, he didn't ask. Would you ask? He told them what to do. So sometimes we don't believe enough to ask. And then other times we don't believe we need to ask. I'll unpack this one a little more in a moment. But here's what I know about me and therefore probably you. The first time you were in a, in a pretty difficult situation, you felt uncertain, you prayed. And then it worked out. And the second time, you prayed. And it worked out. And the third time, I think I got this. I don't need to, I don't need to ask this time. Seriously. We, we, we all, if we're just really honest with ourselves, we all get to the place where stuff that we used to feel the need to pray about, well, I don't need to pray about that anymore. I just got this one. I know how to do it. Could that be what was going on there? Maybe. All we know is Jesus said what? 
unbelieving generation. And then he tells him to do what with the boy? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, verse 20. And when he saw him, when the boy sees Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And actually, in a moment of compassion, I think Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? I I genuinely appreciate that about Jesus. Because this gives him some context. And I know when stuff that's hard goes on and on and on, sometimes you feel like you have no idea how long I've been dealing with this. This didn't start last week. So Jesus getting a sense of where dad is. How long has this been happening to him? He says from childhood. It's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Uh, Now, as always with the text, it's very easy to sit here as a bystander, as a watcher, a spectator. But put yourself in a situation where you have a son who you're afraid to even light the fire to cook the food because he might throw himself into the fire. Or you're afraid to go gather water for the fountain because if you take him to go get the water, he may throw himself in and drown. Imagine living with that sort of fear since childhood. For for as, as long as you remember, this is every day. You never know what's gonna unfold. If you'll put yourself there, this won't be just a story. Now you'll feel what dad feels in this moment. And what Jesus, by his question, has a better sense of what dad feels. So he gives him the history. And then he says this. This is dad to Jesus. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Is there a word that stands out to you there? But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Imagine when that hit Jesus' ear. We know the word stands out because we'll see what happens next in the text. But but that little two-word if, does it make a difference? I didn't realize how big of a difference until I removed it. Now read the sentence. But you can do anything. Take pity on us and help us. That makes a little bit of a difference, doesn't it? Doesn't it? No. It makes a huge difference. He goes from, but if you can do anything, it'd be awesome, to you can do anything. Take pity on us and help us. That's the if makes all the difference in the world. And it prompts Jesus's Second reaction to this encounter. What was his first? Oh, unbelieving generation. Now what's he say? (laughs) If you can. Now, did Jesus say, if you can? What would you? (laughs) If? If you can? It's like bewildered. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, when Jesus replies, if you can, with the question, if you can, don't don't be guilty of making Jesus say more than what he's saying or less than what he's saying. Because he's saying something with absolute certainty here. When he says, if you can, what is absolutely certain? (laughs) His can, right? (laughs) He's gone, if you can, God's power is absolutely certain. It's not a can issue for me. I can. (laughs) Your belief is uncertain. When you say, if you can, 
you don't have a clear view of who I am. If you get a clear view of who I'm, if you believe I can, then what's he say next for those who believe? All things are guaranteed. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? All things are, isn't that a big difference? See, I don't want us to say less than what Jesus said here. I want us to say fully, he can. But let's not say more than what Jesus said here. Jesus didn't say believing is a guarantee. Believing is not a guarantee. Believing makes it possible. So it's not a guarantee, but it is a requirement. So... Again, just don't fill in blanks here. Capture the the beauty of what Jesus is declaring to a man in intense need. He's saying, don't be the people who think I'm weak and can do some things, but not all things. Believe that I can. But don't be the person who thinks, if you believe, it will happen. No, believing is required, but it's not a guarantee. Right here, in the the biblical reality is, I can. Believing makes it possible. So if you don't believe, it's not going to happen. But if you do believe, doesn't mean it's absolutely guaranteed. Believe. My power is certain. And your believing is a requirement. Now, does the guy capture what Jesus is saying? What's he say next? Verse verse 24. Do you think he gets it? (laughs) I think he gets it and himself. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, have you, have you never read that and gone, really, dude? Which is it? Do you believe or do you need me to help your unbelief? Which is it? Because, it, I mean, you can't say, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Which is it? So which is it? I do believe and help my unbelief. I think that's, that's, I I think the guy captures the reality actually for the vast majority, if not all of us, who, who can genuinely say, even in our growing in Christ, even in our growing in understanding of who God is, that we can go, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Meaning, I do believe. Sometimes, I can relate to that. Uh, and you, you can, I know. You can go, I was believing yesterday. It's just, oh man, I got this news and I'm struggling to believe today. Did new information or new circumstances ever come in and torpedo your belief? Sure it has. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Because sometimes Tuesday doesn't go like it did on Monday. This is an honest, this is an honest prayer for really all of us. For me, I believe. Help my unbelief. Really, in the same circumstances, at times, I'm believing and then I'm unbelieving. Or maybe it's, I do believe some things.
This weirds people out sometimes. But I recognize this in myself. In praying for a little, a little boy. Asking God to take this little boy's life and restore it to health. And then he died. I was in the hospital with the family and the little baby in my arms. And uh, this may weird you out, but the Spirit of God brought to my mind, I raise people from the dead. But I chickened out. I, I did not have in me the guts to ask the Lord for it in that moment. And I rationalized myself way out of by going, well, you know, I don't want to do that to the parents. It was just me being chicken. So I, I know what it means to say, I believe, help my unbelief. It's part of our growing. I, I, I hope it's true for me and for you that, that you can say, you know, I believe God and what he can do more than I did a year ago. And I, I, it's not that I don't have any days, but I have more days, excuse me, I have less days of unbelief than I used to have. That's growing. Remember, we've said how many times here at this chapel, not more faith, but faith more. More times and more things. So, the man says, for all of us who are an unbelieving generation, I do believe, help my unbelief. While this is going down, Jesus sees in verse 25 something else happening. He sees a crowd was rapidly gathering. And you might think, oh, well, Jesus is thinking, good, now there's enough people for, to see me do something really stunning. <laughs> That's not the way he perceives it. And most times in the Gospels, Jesus is crowded verse. So he sees a crowd gathering, and he's like, I, I need to get moving here. <laughs> and so he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that what the crowd say? He killed him. And if you're the JV, you're going, hey, hey, we, we couldn't get it out, but we didn't kill him. <laughs> Jesus takes him by the hand and raised him up. He wasn't dead. And he got up. And what did he do? What did he do? Next verse. He got up and what did he do? It doesn't say. I'm like, seriously, Mark? You're just going to go? And he got up and... Come on, give me a little bit. We don't get any more about the boy for this reason. Don't miss this. As great as this moment is for this boy and this man, this encounter is not about them. This encounter is about what happens when they go inside, next verse. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. See, they didn't want to do this out publicly. But they got a big question. Hey, what, what was going on? Why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive it out? And why would they think they, they could have? Because they had... Many times in the past, and Jesus had given them authority to do so. And so they're genuinely in a, a head scratcher going, what went down here? 
And this is actually one of these texts where you go, yeah, I don't know either. How is it that, that they could do it and now they can't do it? And we get this answer from Jesus. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, I've read that lots of times and gone, I don't know what you mean. And then it hit me. I don't know what he means because I've made an assumption. My assumption was wrong because when he says, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer, what is he telling the guys? What didn't they do? Oh, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, come on. They weren't out there trying to do this without praying. And then like the two, bore, two by four upside my head, I was like, I've gone through days without praying. I've tried to do stuff without praying. Remember earlier? You prayed about something and it went fine and you prayed about it and you went fine you prayed about it and you went, okay, I don't need to pray about this anymore. I got this one. You ever get up through, you ever begin your day and you just hit it? You got this one. I mean, there's nothing big going on today. You don't need to pray about just a normal day, do you? No, I've got this one. There's nothing big today. we, We talk about this all the time. Family group, any prayer request? Anybody got something big going on? Because you know you don't pray unless it's big. When he says, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer, I don't think he's going, well, this is like a really unique spirit. He think he's going, this, this work can't happen unless... Unless you pray. Jesus says later to his disciples, remember, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Abide in me as I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Zippo. Now you can drive your car, you can cook your meal, you just can't do anything of eternal value, the lasting fruit. You, you cannot do the work of God apart from him. And when, when you and I engage in our days... And whether the question, whether it, it's a, it's not casting out a demon, it's just like, hey, I got a decision. Could you give me some wisdom? Oh, sure. I'm like the wisdom dispenser. I don't need to pray about this. And you just give them an answer based on your years of experience. That's a bad habit that all of us get into. We get experience. We get comfortable. We stop praying. Jesus adds in the Matthew passage, except by prayer and fasting, which is interesting because the nine might go, well, we didn't like have any time to fast. It's like, I can't fast in the moment. It's a good possibility, don't know for sure, it's a good possibility that Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration had been fasting with the three. But rarely do we pray about things one time. What we're being challenged with here is there is a praying and a praying and a praying and then a, a time to say, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to add fasting to my asking. Why? Well, let's come back. First reaction, oh, unbelieving generation. Second reaction, if I can. Third reaction, you got to fast, pray. See, the praying is the, is the recognition that believing that he can is expressed in our asking. And 
that our asking and our fasting are those expressions of dependence, that acknowledgement apart from you, we can do nothing. So how did he describe that generation? Unbelieving. You don't even like to say the word, do you? Unbelieving is how he described them. What about this? What would it be for you and I? You and I what would it be for us to say, we're going to become a believing generation? Where would that begin? Where, where, would, it, where would it begin for you and for you? For you, for me. Where would it begin for you, for for us to become a believing generation? Where would that begin? Well, it would begin with where Jesus stopped the man with, if I can, a believing generation would begin with saying, I believe you can. I am going to increasingly grow in my conviction of the greatness of God. I'm going to get God out of the box that I put him in. It's too small. He doesn't fit there. I'm going to believe that he can heal sick people, and I'm going to believe that he can heal people in their last day. And I'm going to believe that he can raise them from the dead. And I'm going to believe that, that he can save those who are lost who trust in him. And I'm going to believe that he can save those who believe who say they'll never believe. Because did you ever stop praying for somebody because they said, I'll never believe? Now that you prayed for him because it seemed like there was some spiritual hunger and then it went away and so you stopped. It's, it all begins with who he is. The, the great danger I want us to avoid here is this. I want us to see God in his greatness and believe it without ever making our believing greater than God. See, sometimes in some circles, the emphasis is not on who God is, it's in, do you believe? I want us to say, God is greater than we can ever imagine, and I believe. But the point is not my believing, more than who God is. It begins with who he is. And my believing, reaching, never exceeding, but reaching the fullness. If I can, I can. What's the evidence that you believe he can? That's the evidence that you believe he can. You ask that he will. Sometimes our lack of asking is laziness. More times, our lack of asking is a revealing of our limited believing. Did you hear that? Our lack of asking is often a revealing of our limited believing. I've shared, and I'm sure you have stories, if you be honest in your own life, of where where you would go... I didn't ask, or I didn't keep asking, or I stopped asking. And as it was a reflection of, I did believe. And then unbelief kicked in. What's the evidence that you're asking? It's that you trust what he does. Because what is a legitimate answer to an ask? 
Yes! And what's a legitimate answer to an ask? No. It's in, it's in the no's that we really find out if we were asking or not. Because has God said no to you about a healing or about a job or about a relationship? And you went, <clears throat> And I was going to give you my life. You weren't asking, you were negotiating with God. And when he didn't meet your price, you said, well, I'm walking away from the deal. Don't miss. The evidence that we believe is in our asking. And the evidence that we are asking is in our trust. What's the evidence that we trust? So we praise him in the yeses and we praise him in the noes. We say, thank you, Lord, for the yes and thank you, Lord, for the no. See, Job was a believing generation. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's wife was a, help my unbelief, what'd she say? I should curse God and die. Now, I'm not hard on her. She lost all of her kids in a single day. That's a hard pill. But the believing generation for you and I begins with what we think, see, believe about God and who he is. And because we believe it, and because we not only think he's able but he's good, and he's not only able, but he's kind, and he's not only powerful, but he's father, I say, Dad, would you? I ask. And because I was asking and not demanding, not telling, whatever you do, Dad, I trust you, and I'll praise you in the giving and in the taking. That's the believing generation. Lord, help my unbelief. So we've been singing this song for three weeks now called, I Will See You That Way. We did it this morning if you were here at the beginning. I'll see you that way. It's a great song, but it's even better when you know the back story. Every song's better when you know the story behind it. So I want you to, to listen to the story behind the song. I'll see you that way. And ask yourself, wow, can I relate to her? And uh, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Listen to the story. A few years ago, my family decided uh, instead of the adults exchanging gifts or giving gifts, that we would exchange names and give blessings or prophetic words or scripture or something like that. And um, I drew my sister's name. And to be honest, I wanted to put her name back in the bowl when it came out. And the reason for that is she had been dealing with a major sickness in her body and uh, nobody could figure it out. She had been to medical doctors and she'd been to holistic uh, medicine. Her skin started breaking out and all these blisters. She looked like she'd been burned like in a major fire over a lot of her body. And uh, we had prayed and prayed and prayed about healing over her body and nothing was seeming to happen at all. I sat in my kitchen and I was like, Lord, I don't want I don't want this name because I don't want to pray for her and nothing happened. And I don't really, if I'm honest, I don't think anything is going to happen because we have prayed 
and prayed and prayed and prayed and seen nothing. That kind of began this journey of me just talking with the Lord every day about it. It even came up time to Christmas Day when we were all sharing gifts. I went out on a run that morning and I was like, Lord, I still have nothing. I have nothing to say to her. I don't have a word from you. I don't even feel like I have a scripture. And I was just kind of desperate about it. And um, I went for a run and I was listening to an album. There's a song um, by Amanda Cook. And uh, one of the lines is, you turn the bitter into sweet. You turn the winter into spring. And I was listening to that and I felt like the Lord said, this is the word for your sister. Go back and tell her that this is the year I'm turning bitter into sweet. So I went back to the house and I ended up telling her that. But I also made her promise that day that I would pray over over her body every day. That was my gift to her until we saw breakthrough. And so I came home and through that prayer and through all that stuff, uh, sitting at the piano one day, uh, this song came to be, I will see you that way. And I felt like it was really a declaration of things honestly that I didn't know that I believed, but I wanted to believe. And so I made up my mind that I was going to just sing these things out until we saw the fullness of what those things were. And honestly, until my soul came back into alignment with true belief. So it was really cool. One Wednesday night I was leading worship and decided to do, I will see you that way. And in the middle of it, I felt like the Lord asked me to give a call for healing for those that have been contending for things for long periods of time. And I had my phone up on the um, stand beside the piano. And so as people were praying over everyone, I texted my sister and um, just wanted to let her know that uh, we were praying for her um, right there in that service. And she texted back and was like, actually, like I've had a major turnaround today and had started feeling better than she had in literally years. And um, from that day on, um, every day was better. And so this past Christmas when we went home, it was incredible because our whole family got to surround her and just, I mean, like, you know, fun dance party. She is totally, completely healed. When we come before the Father, eventually we will see what He's promised. He is a mountain mover, He's an earth shaker, He is a perfect healer, and I'm making a choice to see Him that way. So that's where that song kind of came from and um, why I feel like it's so powerful and why it connects. So I think we all have had a time in our life where we come to that moment where we just don't know if we really believe, if we're honest. And we have, we have to make a choice to believe. Belief is a choice. It's not always a feeling. See, from her own story, she simply acknowledges I do believe, what? Help my unbelief. And how do we help unbelief? By seeing who God is. Not trying to drum up a inner feeling, but to, to have my soul, she said, aligned to who he is. And so I want us to not be hearers only of the scriptures, but to be doers as well. And so I want to invite us as a congregation to share together in a fasting and prayer time. The staff beginning this year has chosen to once a month, the last Monday and Tuesday of each month to spend 30 hours in fasting and prayer together. And we want to invite you as a congregation to join us this month, starting tomorrow at one o'clock, going through Tuesday evening around seven-ish, and I'll explain that in a moment. Now, many of you may go, oh, I've never fasted. I'm not sure exactly what that means, and is that safe, and how do I go about it? And so on our website today, just go to our homepage, and there's going to be three tabs right there about fasting, and one of them is information about fasting. And it'll lead you through 11 short articles written by crew uh, by a guy who's done a lot of fasting that will answer any of your questions. We're not talking just quick information. We're not talking an absolute fast. We're encouraging 30 hours liquid water only. 
Now, some of you medically are going, I, I can't do that. I understand we don't want to put you at medical risk. The issue of fasting is as Jesus fasted in response to the devil who tempted him to say, why don't you just take the rocks and turn it into some bread and eat, man? That Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, our fasting is not just denying ourselves of food, it's intending to feast on who God is. It's a replacing bread, <clears throat> Doritos, burritos, <laughs> with the bread of life, with the truth of who God is. So if you have questions about you and personally fasting, get them answered there. After lunch tomorrow, by the way, if you think, well, I'm going to pound a buffet then, that's not a good way to start a fast is not to pound the buffet. <laughs> Starting at one, going through Tuesday evening. A little heads up. You're going to be cranky. You might think, oh, fasting and prayer is going to be so sweet. No, it's going to be so hungry. And you're going to think, I'm so hungry, I can't even think about praying. That's kind of the point, actually. That, that you'll be going, I can't think about praying, that it's driving you to dependence. That's the point. So don't be frustrated by the hunger. Allow it to accomplish its purpose. Our focus during the 30 hours might catch you by surprise. We're not going to focus on asking. We're going to focus on, because where does it start? We're going to focus on believing. Our prayer focus for the 30 hours will be to see God for all that he is, provider and healer and for me and with me and wise and good. So for 30 hours, we want our prayers to focus on who God is, the believing he can. And so for the fuel to lead to that prayer focus, then for each hour, we're going to send you scripture. You can get it on Facebook, we'll tweet it out, and we're going to put it on our homepage. So every hour for 30 hours, instead again of snacking on some Doritos or grabbing, you know, one of the fun size Snickers, you're going to say, I'm going to feast on who God is. Now you may go, uh, I'm not going to get up at 2 a.m. and read a verse. I understand you could wait till six and read six verses. That'd be okay. <laughs> Don't get lost in the details here. The goal is to have our minds and our hearts enlarged to the greatness of who God is. And that will, scripture is always the fuel to bring us to that. That 30 hours then for those, and listen carefully, for those who have said, uh, I'm going to engage in this in fasting, and if it can't be for food, then it, it, you may go, I'm going to fast from something else that is important to me, that won't put me at medical risk. For the folks who fast, then Tuesday at 6.30, we're going to do then a prayer gathering for those who fasted. And the prayer gathering will be at 6.30 down in the shop. So if you're in south or in north, it's down towards the gate station. The shop is right here. That's where our senior high meets. We're going to meet there Tuesday night at 6.30 for a time then of after focusing on believing, we're going to ask. So that if you have a need for healing, that you would come and share just a sentence. We don't need three years of history, just in a sentence or two. Here's my need, and we'll have a time of prayer asking the Lord to show himself strong and healer on your behalf. Not because it will be guaranteed. Fasting is not the secret potion that we sprinkle on to make sure it happens. It's our time of dependence and having 
our view and our understanding of God increased so that we'll be encouraged to ask, believing he can. That'll be down in the shop at 6.30 for those who have fasted together, and then we'll have a light breaking of the fast. We're not going to pound a bunch of barbecue and ribs, but there'll be a light, simple breaking of the fast then afterwards for those who come and who want to stay for that time. This is obviously not required. I don't know if 50 people are going to show up in the shop or if we won't be able to put everybody in. You may go, but I have something Tuesday night. Then fast next Monday, Tuesday, or fast Wednesday, Thursday. It's not that we're all doing it together. It's just that if we don't all do it together, then sometimes we don't get around to stuff. So we just say, we're going to do it now. If you need to do it next week, do it next week. But you you don't have to. It's an invitation for us to grow in our unbelief. So that's what I want us to do. Stand, if you would, right now. Let's stand and let's declare as we prepare our hearts for one o'clock tomorrow that we would invite the Lord to grow us in seeing him for who he is. Let's make this a prayer. Honestly acknowledge, we believe, help our unbelief. We invite you, the coming two days, to enlarge our hearts, our minds in terms of your scripture shaping how we think of you. Would you grow us up to be a believing generation that ask and trust? praises you no matter what. And thank you for meeting us in that way, in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Engage to the degree that you believe you can to the glory of God. And maybe we'll see you Tuesday night if you can't be here next Sunday morning. See you Thursday night down in the shop at 730. God bless.